0: Welcome to the Legacy of Our African American Lives Podcast, where our stories become our oral histories created to uplift, empower, and enrich the next generation. Hi, I am your host, Tangela Irby. Today, our very special guest is none other than Dr. Caesar Irby Jr. He was born and raised in the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut. He likes to spend his free time with his wife and children, Tracy, Camille, and Cameron. They all reside in Milford. He has an extensive resume filled with lots of great accomplishments and titles. But first, I want you to know that he has given me two of my greatest titles, which are Big Sister and Auntie. Welcome, Caesar. Good evening. Yeah, so thank you for sharing time with us today, I have to tell you that I am so excited to embark upon this new journey for myself personally. But I am really excited to be able to take some time and to just talk to you a little bit about what family history and legacy means to you. So before we get into that, I want to give the audience a little bit more background about who you are so let's let's talk so tell me a little bit about who you are and some of your accomplishments
1: Uh, so as you mentioned my name is uh, dr caesar irby i'm originally from uh, bridgeport connecticut Um, a proud product of the bridgeport public schools uh, subsequently i enrolled in at cornell university and i was there for five years and i obtained a bachelor's degree in biology and a master's degree in education I spent some time teaching and doing other things, and I went back to school to become a a podiatrist. Um, So currently, I work at uh, Bridgeport Hospital, and I'm the the chief of podiatry at Bridgeport and Milford Hospital, Um, and I also oversee a team of six residents uh, that we train in foot and ankle surgery.
0: You know, when I think about you, and I think about your life, because obviously, you know, We spent a lot of time together, especially in the early years. You know, I'm always amazed with there's just so many different facets of your life. So I think about how you always wanted to be a doctor. You know, it was something that you talked about a lot uh, growing up. And then I think about, you know, you went to school and, you know, you became a certified teacher and you taught, but you never lost what it was that you wanted to do. Talk to us a little bit about that. Where did that drive to just keep going? Where did it come from? I think um,
1: a lot of my internal or the stimulus for me to do things rooted in, you know, my family history. And I guess that's why I'm here. My parents did not go to college. And I always, as a child, wondered when I talked to them and, And, you know, relatives, it just seemed strange to me because, you know, they seem very intelligent. So I always wondered, you know, why they didn't go to college. And so it just gave me the added gasoline or fire in my bosom to achieve. So I always felt like I had a, a chip on my shoulder. I felt like it was for me to prove that if my parents had the opportunity what they would have achieved and so if given the opportunity you know there was there were no limits to what they could or or have done so I, my first experience in in school was at Wilbercross uh, school which is a school in the north end of Bridgeport and I had a wonderful pre-k teacher her name was miss brown and I was in love with Miss Brown. I thought I was going to marry her, and um, I believed everything that she she told me. So she told us that we could be anything we wanted to be, and I, you know, I believed her. I had no reason not to. And at that time, I didn't know anyone who was a doctor, but I knew, I, you know, I liked science. I was inquisitive, and it was always something that I, you know, I wanted to do. I can't. I don't necessarily know why. Like I said, I didn't know a doctor but it was just always something I, you know, I aspired to. And luckily, my teachers and my home environment was very supportive in terms of education. I think some of the things that I recall is that, again, I go back to when my parents, my mother would tell me that she spent half the year in the fields and half the year in school, so she didn't have a traditional education. But she knew that she had never been to a college, but she knew I needed to go to one. You know, she didn't know how to, you know, she didn't know how to get me through college, but she knew I needed to be on a campus. I Earlier today, I was thinking about on my way to work that, you know, how many children when I was applying to college, you know, I asked my parents, I, I needed, I, can I have your tax returns? And I took their tax returns and I sat down with the financial aid application and I said, you know got to figure it out mm-hmm. and and that's what we were doing at the time you know it was a unchartered uh, course but I always felt that I had to support so even if I failed you know I had some place to go back to my mother would would tell me um when I when I left to Cornell she found out or they, they found out that lots of people Cornell was known for people committing suicide mm-hmm. and there are lots of bridges there's lots of places to you know, if one unfortunately was inclined to do that, there are lots of places where that happens. And, you know, I remember her telling me that, you know, you always have a place to come back to, you know, so as long as I have a place to live, you have a place to live. And so I, I, I didn't feel pressure when I went there because I was playing with house money. I, you know, it was like, I couldn't lose because even if I lost I would be going back to a place I knew would take me unconditionally. Some other things that, you know, my you know, mother would tell me, she worked at a factory. She, you know, say, look at my hands. She says, you know, do you want hands like mine or you could do, or you could work differently? Um, she says, I work, I go to a place that I don't like to go to because I have to. And, you know, she would tell me that, you know, she works there because, you know, she needs money um, and and we need things. but. I have different options, you know, I can choose what I want to do and I could possibly do things that, you know, I love to do and
0: that would pay me money. There is so much wrapped in all the different things that you said, you know, when I think about our mother she would often tell us things and she had such a way of doing it. It wasn't always do this or don't do that. It was always through a story and it was with a gentle touch. You know, and it could be something really quick or something small. And even now with her being gone, something will happen and I'll think about something that she said about it or, you know, her helping somebody else through something. And another thing that you touched upon was, and I remember that she said she had to do very hard work and she worked hard. So we didn't have to work that way. But even with that, I think about how early she got up every morning. She would be up six o'clock in the morning to go to go to work. She would work, uh, I believe her hours were seven to seven to three or seven to 3.30. And she never complained about getting up. She never complained. She would always say, do what you have to do. And that's something that mm-hmm. really it, it, it sticks with me. And the fact that education was valued in our home. So again, like you said, she didn't go to college, but she knew we needed to go. I remember... Graduating high school and talking to some people, and they would say, "Oh well, you know, I decided I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to take a year off, or I'm just not going." And I think about growing up, and I don't know if you felt that that was an option growing up, but I never felt that not going to school, not going to college, was an option.
1: No, no. I mean, I, I, um, it was, it was, it was always an option. It, it was like you said, it was never not an option. Eve, like I said, you know, you know, as, um, you know, a first generation, you know, college students, I mean, I think we have a, a uncle or aunt or two that had gone to college, but we hadn't spent much time with them. The goal for my parents, their goal was not, you know, to live in a million dollar house. Their goal was not to, you know, go on lots of vacations. Their goal was to, to make sure that we had an opportunity that they didn't have, you know, and, and we, you know, we heard about, you know, stories of, of, you know, how, and I don't want to use the word poor because they weren't poor people in terms of love and, you know, caring. And in terms of resources, you know, um, like I said, she was from a family that was a sharecropper and there were lots of opportunities not afforded to her because of her color. Um, There were assumptions that were made, you know, because of her color and because of where she grew up. And even though she couldn't, she couldn't articulate what I'm saying, she lived it. So she made sure that those types of barriers were not on our life. And I remember some vivid things. I remember that she wasn't the greatest reader. And the things that I remember is I, I remember how she taught herself how to read better. Mm -hmm. um in church Mm -hmm. and she she would, yeah she would she would get up in front of people in Sunday school and she would struggle and and read and as a child I you know I I sat there and I I never even it never once dawned on me that that what was happening but you know that's what she was doing and also um I would uh she would have me every Saturday morning at like seven o'clock I go with her to the grocery store And, um, you know, I go shopping with her and what she would do is as we're shopping in my head, she would have me calculate the groceries and, you know, and, and by the time we got to, um, the, to register, it was how close I was to the, to the number. Mm -hmm. And and most times I was, I was spot on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, by the time I, by the time I got to school, um, a lot of the things that you know other kids had struggles doing you know I was you know pretty um pretty good at so for example, reading um and 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 writing and um i would uh in terms of you know doing things like in church she she makes sure I you know get up and talk um you know do things that would help me you know be a better speaker and, and like I said, it wasn't like she was this was something she was you know actively trying to do it's just you know just who who she was. And I think it comes from the fact that, you know, we come from people who are proud. And, and my, my thing is that, and what makes me bitter is that I just think that, you know, they didn't have the opportunity and that's what drives me. So I'm, I'm looking at, and when people talk about dreams deferred, I'm in their dream deferred, meaning that they, through me, you can see what, what would happen if you give you know a young uh young black boy opportunity and that young black boy was you know someone down south in the 50s and the 60s and they didn't have that opportunity and so now you know come along here here i am and i'm showing that if you if they have opportunity that you know things are unlimited i don't think i'm any different than you know anyone else you know in my in my neighborhood I was blessed to have, you know, good friends that looked out for me, but, you know, I think that my blessing was, you know, the ability to, you know, process information and, and be able to give it to you in a way that you wanted it back. So I could tell, you know, okay, well, if the teacher said it this way, okay, you know what that means is important. All right. If the teacher made, if the teacher and I got into it, I said, I was going to make the teacher pay. And how was I going to make the teacher pay? I was gonna make her or him give me an A, despite what they thought of me. You know, I would, you know, do little things like, um, um, if I felt the teacher um had a little, uh, I don't know, I don't wanna say it, but if the teacher was a little biased, what I would do is I'd make sure I put the teacher in a situation where, you know, I would, I was able to show my prowess. So, you know, the teacher would, you know, say to me, oh, oh, um, Mr. Irby, how did you get that answer? Why don't you go to the board and, and and show the class how you got that answer? You, you know, you didn't, you didn't do your work. Why don't you go to the board? And in my mind, I was thinking, thank you, Jesus. And I go up to the board and I do, do what I think God, you know, um, made me for. I, I just, I just keep going back to, you know, the fact that people need opportunity. And I think that, one of, the, one of the things in life is that, you know, if you have a child and you teach that child how to read, you've opened the world to that child. You know, a child that, you know, what's the difference between a, a, a man that can read or can't read and a man that chooses not to? Nothing. So, you know, it's like you teach a child to read um, and, you know, every page is like a different, you know, like a different world. You can go um, and learn anything. And our generation shows that if the generation before us and before that had opportunity, you know, where would you know where would we be as a you know as a people?
0: So you talk about future generations and being given opportunities. Talk to us a little bit about the scholarship in Mom's name.
1: So before the pandemic, uh, Sacred Heart University has an uh, anatomy course that they run for um, juniors and seniors i think primarily seniors who are going into the medical field and so for their first class we offered a scholarship we supported a um, young lady who is at howard university and she was able to um to take the course and you know go into the anatomy lab at sacred heart and currently she is finishing up at howard and her plan is to be a trauma surgeon since, since COVID, the, uh, I don't think they've had, they had the course since COVID, but um, if the course opens up again, then we will continue to support.
0: So, again, there's just so much in everything that you said, but what the connection that I made when you started talking about getting up early on Saturday morning and going to the grocery store with mom, you made me fast forward to what happens in your household with your children. And how I know that you do some of those same practices, I know that they're very familiar with going yeah, so to the grocery store.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I have a um, so I have I have two daughters, and you know um, if you were to look at each of my daughters, one looks like I had the daughter by myself without my wife, and then the the, the younger one looks more like my wife, but the older one has adopted the same practices that I had in terms of she enjoys going to the grocery store. So her and I go to the grocery store. Um, she cooks. And, um, you know, so there are a lot of things that have been passed on through DNA, meaning that, you know, I didn't even, I haven't, I didn't approach her coming with me to the store, but just some of the same things, you know, she likes to do with me. So I like to continue the tradition. She started in a, in a school. Um, uh, she's a freshman in high school and she goes to an all girl school. And I was on the campus of the school. Um, I had never seen it because of COVID. I didn't get a chance to to go to the school until she actually got in. And I was on the campus and I was looking around and I was thinking, what would my mother say if she could see the school? Meaning, and you know, one one generation from grandma to granddaughter, you know, the world is is a a place full of opportunity. I, I do remember when my children were younger, and, you know, they would talk to grandma and grandpa and they asked, you know, where'd you go to college? And they said they didn't, and my children were shocked. You know, they said, don't doesn't everyone go to college? And, and I understand that college is not for everyone, but when you're a people who it was out of reach for so long, you know, it becomes, you know, becomes something special. And so for us, education, you know, is, I think is the key for us. My, my daughter said to me when she was younger, she, I'm in my, the place where I do my work, but my daughter came to me one day and she, she, she looked at the books and she said, daddy, did you read all those books? And I, and I told her, I told her, yes, I did. And it felt good. I mean, you can say, you know, you can say other things or your kids can like you for other reasons, or, you know, um, admire you, but, you know, to me, you know, I want them to, to know that, you know, I'm a man of God, you know, I, I keep my word and, you know, that I know I value, I value education.
0: So you just automatically went to where I was going to go next. I wanted to talk a little bit about legacy and how you wanna be remembered. But before I go there, I just wanna say, because you talked about one of your daughters in terms of continuing and how DNA just works. And so I have to say about the other daughter, your younger daughter, You know, she recently reached out to me and said, okay, can I have the recipe to make tea cakes? Or how do you make collard greens? So it's like, they're both very inquisitive and they wanna know about you know family history. And I have no doubt in my mind that our future legacy is safe with them because they're going to carry out those things. They remember things from Mm -hmm. conversations with their grandparents. They remember things or come and ask me about things from, you know, when we were younger and we were growing up, you know, you talked a little bit about how you want your girls to remember you or think of you as a father. So I'm just going to ask you along those lines. So you think about my sister-in-law, you think about Tracy, what do you want her to say about you as a husband?
1: I want them to to look at me and, and as the standard. So I, I think that I want them to, to know that, you know, if they, you know, when they get married or if they get married that, you know, you could have a man that's nice. You could have a man that, um, you know, loves God um, and that will do his best to, you know, to take care of you and, in, 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 you know, in everything he does. So I put my family first before, you know, before me, before my needs. And, you know, I just tried my best to, to, you know, give them what they needed, not necessarily, you know, monetary things, but, you know, I took the time to see what they needed, whether it was, uh, you know, love, you know, whether it was support. So I I don't think, or I don't believe you should give kids the same things. Um, I try and be equitable, but I think that they need different things. And so I want them to know that I took the time, you know, and I, you know, I thought about them, you know, in, in everything that I do that, you know, when I'm out and about in the world, you know, the things that I do will impact my kids. And so I want them to be mine for the fact that daddy thought about me, you know, so when I'm gone, even when I'm gone, I hope that even when I'm not here, I
0: still will be doing things for them that they will appreciate. And so what about if I think about, if I ask someone What would they say about you as a son? Like, if mom was here right now, what would she say about you as a son?
1: I mean, it's hard to put words in her mouth, but you know, I even, even when I disagreed with her, Mm -hmm. she wouldn't have known. You know, I, um, I subscribe by that, you know, um, that even, even though you know, I may have disagreed and, and it, it was, you know, little things and we never had, you know, big issues. I, I always did my best to, to never um, be an embarrassment, just in terms of when you thought of my name, you thought of something good. And, and I always thought my name was tied to hers. The one thing I think that was important to me as, as a son, and it was from when I was very, very young that my mother trusted me. Mm. So whether it be with, you know, her money, uh, her credit card, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sending me, driving me places, even to when she got older, she, you know, she would, you know, tell me, Hey, listen, I have a 401k. I want you to go in it. I want you to, you know, do things or, you know, pick stuff for me. And so I always felt that she trusted me and I never wanted to be in a position where she wouldn't trust me. So I never did anything to,
0: to, to break that, that bond. You talked so much about religion. You mentioned, you know, that you love God, that you believe you God. Talk a little bit about when you think about family legacy and religion and church. You know, when you think back to either when we were younger, what would you like to share in regards to that?
1: When, when I think back to church, I think about uh, things that happened and, and songs that were sung and that had no context. So, you know, every... know, first Sunday, you know, they sing certain songs, you hear people, you know, certain songs, you know, make them get up and shout. And as a child, they're filling you with all these different parables and all these different things. And when you get older, certain things start to happen in life. And then you go back to, you go back to, you know, the, the parable. So one of the things I think was important was that, you know, my parents, and they weren't, they weren't, intentional or like on me per se about this but you know they it was very important that no matter where I went and and where I lived that you know I was connected to a church group and you know some of the cities that I've lived in because of that I've made wonderful wonderful friendships and those friendships sustained me when you know I was away from home and and I didn't have any anyone in terms of anyone close by. I had wonderful friends. So the church was always known because of my upbringing as a place of refuge. So if life is going, if life is not going the way I want, uh, it was, you know, it was for me personally, it was never, okay, let let me uh, go get a drink, it which is it not my thing, or or, you know, turn to drugs or something like that. Church was presented to me as as a place to uh, where you know if if, so, if something goes wrong and you don't have anywhere else to go, you you find a church home and go to go to church. I was in, in I was in New York City on 9/11, and I was in class, and so the, the the building first building was attacked, and I went I saw it on TV, and then I talked to my um, wife who was she was just my friend at the time. And so she said, while I'm talking to her on the phone and I'm looking at the TV, I see the other building come down. And so at that time, I made the personal decision that I was gonna leave Harlem and go back to Westchester. And I thought I'd be safer there. So I tried to leave the city and I couldn't. And I thought about it. I said, oh, well, you know, my assistant pastor that used to be at my church was named the head uh, pastor of a church in Harlem. So I was able to drive to his church and I said, you know what, if it's the end, then I, at least I'll be at church. So I um, I was at church with um, a, a good friend and that's kind of how, you know, church is for me. It's the place of, of, you know, of refuge.
0: So often people talk about church hurt.
1: You're gonna have to define that. For now, and I,
0: okay, I will, I will. So church hurt is people will go to church and they're, they have these expectations that everyone in church will do the right thing all the time. And then something happens, and then they kind of retreat. They pull back from church. My question to you is, in doing this podcast and talking about family legacy and wanting to uplift people and to, you know, encourage people to tell their stories, the stories are not always great. There there are things in families that happened. And the connection I'm making is, is sometimes there's family hurt. So my question to you is: For people who are listening, who have experienced family hurt, what would you encourage them to do?
1: That's a difficult question. Um, I I think it, you know, it again it, it goes back to you know your your upbringing. What I what I try and do is is again, like I said, I'm not a, a person who, I'm an overly optimistic person. So in all scenarios. I am optimistic. And that's just how I was meaning the house could be on fire. And I'm like, oh, look at that picture. It's wonderful. You know, I, I think that it is important that during the times that, you know, life is good. I think it's important to that's when you build your foundation. And because you don't know when when these things happen. And if you if you don't have a, a strong foundation, you know, that's when that's when things can happen. So I guess what, what I'm trying to say is that irrespective of what's going on in life, I have to continue to be me. So unfortunately, in my view of my life, you know, I think that I'm the, I'm the stopgap. So when I look at, you know, my wife and kids and my family, a lot of times say to myself, you know what, well, I can't let it get past me. So if it gets past someone else and they can't handle it, I need to make sure it doesn't get past me. So I try, I try and read. I don't read the Bible as much as I should, but I read a lot of self-help help books just in terms of, you know, bettering myself, you know, how to be a better person. And I think that combined with the stuff that I learned when I was a child helps me through, you know, these times of, you know, these times of hurt, like, you know, you remember when, um, I distinctly remember when your mother it would say, oh, you know, one day I ain't going to be here. And, you know, there's other things that are, you know, I said as a child, and like I said, in church and Sunday school, you have all these different things and those things, you know, help you, you know, get through. It's important that, you know, you don't put too much faith in a, a man because, you know, sometimes they, they will let you down, just uh, one example. So I have a, I have a friend who um, lost his mother when, um, when we were teenagers. And so his personality changed a little bit, not towards us, not towards us, but you could tell that he was different. Like, you know, um, not the fun-loving guy that he had been. When, when I had a similar situation and he, he texted me to ask how things were, I told him I understood. And I understood how you could be a person and have, you know, horrible things happen to you. And, you know, those things could, you know, change the, the rainbow. You don't see the rainbow anymore. And it's just, I think it's a normal thing in terms of, you know, how people process grief. The one thing I try and hold on to is I I, I try always, I read a lot of stuff on, um, on the Holocaust. I just, I just finished um, a book called Night. In a book, uh, uh, it's it's a picture, it's like a book of pictures uh, of Anne Frank's diary. The reason why I do it is because if you purport or try, you think you want to be a good guy, you need to know how evil the bad guy can be. And so, you know, you look at these things that happen in your life and that are bad, and you say to yourself, you know what, I can't internalize these things and then become the person. I was reading about in the book. So it's very easy for bad things to happen. And then we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm just not going to treat anybody nice. I'm just going to, you know, do my thing. But I think, you know, by reading and listening to stories of, or, or you know, talking to friends about the things that they happen in, in their life, you say to yourself, you know what? I'm not the only one. Things happen, you know, bad things happen. I, I remember my mother saying, why shouldn't I expect bad things to happen to me i'm no different than anyone else but i think the difference is is how you process it so you know being or trying to be a man of god is that when bad things happen i don't want to take those bad things internalize them and then treat someone else as bad i think it's easy to take your the the best way i think the easiest way to get rid of some hurt is to put it on somebody else you know if you're if you somebody hurts you the easiest way to get rid of it is you hurt somebody else, make them feel worse than you. And you say to yourself, oh, I feel better now. But that's not what we should do. You know, you sh- we should make an effort that, you know, whether it's church hurt, whether it's family hurt, that, you know, you're not going to, um, you know, you're just not going to become, like I said, the people that we read. And some of those books, you know, I, they're terrible men. and They do terrible things. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what kind of family life did they have? That made them the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And so when something bad happens to me, and like I said, I try not to internalize it because I don't want to become careless. I don't want to become callous. You know, for me, I think the best way to do that is, like I said, I try and educate myself. And I also try, you know, and talk with my friends and, and listen to their stories and you develop a sense of empathy.
0: And that's right. There is the power of story. Well, Dr. Irby, I guess you know that I could probably talk to you for hours, and this definitely will not be the last time that we have you here on the podcast. But to take us home, is there anything that you wanted to share that I did not ask?
1: I just think that um, you know, for me, and and my legacy. So I'm thinking about you know, I'm you know, I'm I'm not, I'm hopefully I'm not a halftime of the game for my next thing that I do. I just think that. When you say leaving legacy, it's about, you know, leaving the world a better place than you found it. So, you know, I'm thinking about the trail of people that I, I, you know, that I encounter. So when I leave a person, am I leaving them better than I found them or worse? And so, you know, for as many people as I meet for the rest of my life or interact with, I want to make sure that, you know, when they see me, they know that I left them better
0: than I found them. Where is to live by. Well, again, Dr. Irby, I want to thank you for spending some time with us today on the podcast. I wish you the best, and I pray that God continues to bless your hands and all the work that you do. Right. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Legacy of Our African American Lives podcast.